and welcome to How To Be Successful with me, Vicky Paul. I'm an intuitive artist, energy healer and author and I'm on a mission to help you live with more joy, purpose and meaning. How To Be Successful is a straight-talking, heartfelt and enlightening podcast full of soul-centred wisdom, home truths, life-changing insights and free-flowing conversations with some of the most inspiring, knowledgeable and honest voices in well-being, spirituality, self-love and personal development. It's a show for people who are no longer satisfied chasing society's version of success because they're ready to embrace their gifts and thrive on their own terms. Hi there, I am so excited about today's guest. Jenny Lee Grace is an Amazon number one best-selling author, speaker and the co-presenter of the UK's biggest radio show, BBC Radio 2's Steve Wright in the Afternoon. She also runs the popular recommendations blog, imperfectlynatural.com. Jenny has written five books on holistic living, including the number one Amazon bestseller, Imperfectly Natural Woman. And her latest book, Happy Healthy Sober, Ditch the Booze and Take Control of Your Life, encourages you to look again at your relationship with alcohol, which, let's face it, in January pretty much includes all of us. After ditching the booze herself, Janie launched a podcast called Alcohol Free Life, focusing on sober self-care. And she also gave a TEDx talk called Sobriety Rocks Who Knew? In July of 2019, she launched the Sober Club, which is a membership portal and community for people who are committed to sobriety and who are keen to upscale their life without alcohol and really focus on health and well-being. And what came through during our conversation is how passionate Janie is about encouraging people to ditch the chemicals. And let's face it, after all, alcohol is a chemical. She's really keen to help people focus on great nutrition and self-care. This is all about finding your purpose because Janie found that quitting the booze was the missing link in her life for living holistically. She also offers coaching and is trained in EFT, matrix re-imprinting and NLP. In this conversation, we spoke about her early career as a singer. I don't know if many of you know, but she was a backing singer for George Michael and Wham, Kim Wilde and Boy George. We also talk about why she decided to start living more holistically and what the moment was that she knew she needed to give up the alcohol for good. Given how busy she is, I asked her how she managed to fit it all in. I know, I know. It does sound a lot, doesn't it? I think when you're doing it, you just get on with it, don't you really? But um, but yeah, I don't know that I necessarily keep all the balls in the air. I'm quite chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think what's really interesting is when you... um, if you're someone who's got loads of energy, which I which I have, when you're coming at things from your passion and enthusiasm and you've kind of found your purpose and you you feel authentic with what you're doing, um, it kind of flows. So, yes, you might be super busy, but somehow it gets done. And I think, you know, it's completely different when something when you're not in flow, when something isn't what you're meant to be doing then it's exhausting and you absolutely cannot fit it in. Um, So the things that I've done in my life that have been absolutely where I'm meant to be have somehow happened. And I I really don't know how. I don't know how I hold it all together. It certainly isn't because I'm organised or anything like that. (laughs) Far from it. (laughs) It's interesting when you talk about that because this is the essence of this podcast. It's really about sharing stories of people who are living their purpose, through various different areas, whether it's well-being, spirituality, personal development, self-care, etc. And you said something that just kind of, you know, that we, it was like mm. a wee penny drop. <laughs> I think Oprah Winfrey goes, tweet, tweet, <laughs> um, when, when somebody talks about something that's kind of shareable. 
but you talk about when you're in flow Mm. And I know this, we've talked about this before in the podcast that where you're in flow, it's that point in, in, in an activity where you kind of lose sense of yourself, lose sense of time. But you also mentioned that things happen and, and you have the energy for it. And when you're not in flow, it feels hard work. It yeah. feels like you've no energy. Is that because I've never heard anyone describe flow and being in flow and being on purpose versus not mm. from that point of view? Do you think that if things are not working and it's making you energetically drained that's not flow because sometimes when we're in flow life does still throw obstacles and it's about hunkering down and and keeping going flow doesn't always just it's not about everything rolling in front of you and and life is super easy Mm. yeah I mean there's a couple of different bits to that I mean um I'm not necessarily trying to say that everything's perfect when you're doing what you're meant to be doing um but I do think that so to give you an example you know, over the years, because I am the kind of person that, that, that has a million creative ideas, I mean, just all the time, um, but they don't all come to fruition. You know, some of them sort of fall at the first hurdle and they don't get off the starting blocks because they aren't really quite meant to be. And others, literally, I'll, I'll put a little sort of poll out maybe to my group and just say, you know, what? I'm thinking of doing this kind of program. You know, what do you think? And I'll get the most incredible response. And then the whole program is set up within a couple of weeks and sold out. And then other things will just drag on potentially for years. So what I mean by that, that kind of being on flow is when, you've, when, you really, when you really grasp that this is the right thing for you to be doing, it, it, it happens. It happens almost organically. I mean, everything in the business that I run has happened organically. I've never really sat down and planned any of it. Um, but yes, stuff still happens. I'm also very aware that not everyone is lucky enough to be doing exactly they're living their dream life the whole time I'm fully aware of that and I think that's an interesting um, place to be too because if you are at the stage where you are working you may be doing some a job that is not your life's purpose but you're working to earn money you know what that's cool too you can still be in the moment but absolutely carry on you know, working out what your what what your dreams are, what what you're working towards. You know, I, I I'm not I'm not trying to say that everyone has to um, kind of decide. Okay, this is my purpose. This is what I want to do. So I'm going to immediately give up my day job and then be utterly gutted that no one's paying me fortunes. I don't think it works that way. Um, I, I, you know, I I think that that there's a balance to to be had. And just on that note, by the way, just to throw it in, I'm sure we'll get there, but but just to throw in as well, whenever I talk about purpose, it's something I've been talking about for years, actually, being a Hay House author, you know, kind of queen of talking about purpose and life purpose and, and, um, and, and getting in touch with who you really are and authenticity and all of those things. But one of the most interesting conversations I think I've ever had around this was with Kyle Gray, who's the angel expert. You know, Kyle, you know, lovely, lovely, lovely guy. And I remember having a conversation with him and, and him saying, you know, don't get caught up into thinking that your purpose has to be to have a really successful business, whatever success means to you, or to be creative or to write a book or to write a play. It might be. It might be, but you know what? Your purpose might just be to be happy. And wow, that's such a thing, you know? And for so many people, it's like they can breathe a sigh of of release because a lot of people I work with kind of tentatively, you know, will kind of go, oh, do you know what? I don't really think that I am meant to write a book. 
that's okay. <laughs> totally agree. And I actually just recorded a podcast about finding your purpose because that is at the essence of everything I do. And I think so much of what's wrong with the purpose conversation and has been for so long is that your purpose is a career. It's something that you make yeah. money from. And, and for me, your purpose is actually a feeling. Exactly. And it's how you live that feeling how you experience that feeling and as you say it could be just to be happy your purpose could be a great parent and you can live your purpose by just smiling at a stranger in the street etc etc so it's, it's very much about a feeling for me so I want to jump back because you've had such an amazing career um, and started off now I, you may not have started off life as a singer but you know, for, to go back to that did you always want to sing how did that come about because to sing backing vocals with George Michael and Kim Wilde, Boy George. What was it like and how did you get into that? Um, I think, you know, I always knew that I wanted to do something in the performance kind of sector. So I, I did a degree in performance arts, which was really kind of just about showing off, you know. <laughs> um, and so I always knew I wanted to do that. And, and interestingly enough, I majored in dance, but that was way too much like hard work. Um, I really could not cut that, you know. Uh, so so I, I did more in the music field and then really knew from a very early on that I wanted to kind of be a pop singer. Um, and so it, it started with me just kind of, um, I learned my craft the hard way. You know, I sang in, in, in covers bands, you know, for years and, um, uh, you know, sang in nightclubs and all kinds of stuff. And then I got my first break, in inverted commas, with um, Mary Wilson and the Wilsations. So if anyone's old enough to remember Mary with the Beehive, um, that was a fantastic gig. And there were kind of 11 of us crammed in a, a little mini bus, you know, touring around the UK. So so that was that was great fun. And then and from there, I yeah, I got my I got a gig with with Wham. I think that came next, actually. That was probably one of the next gigs I did was with Wham. I don't know. I don't know how it came about. I mean, th there was definitely some tenacity involved. You know, I was very, very determined um, to get some gigs. Um, I certainly didn't have any any help with anything. I didn't have any connections. Um, I, I heard that Wham were looking for um, a backing band. They're putting together a backing band, managed to get the name of their MD. The MD said, well, we're in the studios, we're auditioning vocal sections, so come down if you want. It was very relaxed, you know, come down if you want. So I, I rock up to, um, to the recording studio, to the rehearsal studios. It, there were just a few guys in the band there at that point, met the MD, and he, he was a lovely guy. And he said to me, you know, really, we want a vocal section, you know, so we're interviewing people like um, Kokomo. Like, they were kind of, they were kind of uh, established vocal sections um that, that worked on like a lot of major records and all the rest of it and I thought wow okay well I'm not going to let that stop me so so I, I basically said to him well okay well that's cool I, I you know I, I work with the vocal section all the time so would you like me to bring them down he said okay so then I kind of get home and get on the phone and ring around and find two other people that I've worked with in the past we rehearse by phone and then rock up and say hey we're a section you know so um and and that time George and Andy were there. Certainly George was. And they like nervous, us, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd done loads of auditions, obviously. And you got to remember George and Andy were right at the very beginning of their career, just had the one, I think they probably just had the one hit when we did the first tour. So um, but they liked us because we were completely kind of young and fresh and you know, um, they liked that vibe. Uh so that's how the first tour came about. Literally, you know, I kind of rang a a girlfriend I'd done sessions with and we literally rehearsed by phone and said look okay we're a section all right cool <laughs> and almost everything I've done has kind of come about like that I've, I, I do 
have a really strong sense of, you know, if I really want something, I am going to go after it. I really am, you know, and that's not to say there haven't been a load of knocks. <laughs> there certainly have. Do you think that that was societally what people were like back in the day? And it's not like that. Do you think people are more, and I don't want to say entitled now, but there's a greater expectation that things come easier is my sense of, mm. of where things are at now or, or do you feel that that's not the case because you're I mean I'm not a parent you're a parent and um, so you're probably much more get your finger in the pulse mm. of that or do you feel it's a personality it's a parental thing rather than a societal thing it's a really interesting question um I don't think it was the same for everyone by any means I think you're either that way or you aren't I think I was absolutely born that way it was definitely nothing to do with my parents if they'd have had their way I'd have been I'd have stayed you know stayed locally uh, in Nottingham and, and probably worked in a local factory that's what they would have liked me to have done so it definitely wasn't anything to do with that although having said that was it maybe it was that uh, there was such a drive in me to not have that life then that that's possibly part of it who, who knows so I do think it's very much your personality, um, number one. But number two, I, I think you might be right. I think that, you know, certainly with my own, I look at my own teenagers and kids and um, they often don't have quite the same drive. Yeah, it, 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 it frustrates me sometimes. But then, but then again, you know, others do, don't they? So I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can sort of categorize across the decades, actually. In terms of your lifestyle at that time and I don't want to surmise what it was like but I imagine you know in, in my mind you're traveling the world and it's party party and or were you not really in that zone were you interested in the holistic side of life did that when it kind of first came to you or was that something that became an interest later on in life yeah no I mean I was uh, no definitely not interested in any of that um at all but having said that I was, uh, I do remember, I sometimes reflect back now with the work that I'm doing now, I sometimes kind of reflect back and think, you know, what was going on for me in those days when I was in bands, you know, where everything was allegedly sex and drugs and rock and roll. Um, and actually, I never tried a single drug in my life ever. Well, having said that, I drank alcohol. And of course, that's a drug. I shouldn't even say that for the work I do. So I did drink, but I didn't go anywhere near drugs. And I look back at that and I think, why was that? And I'm absolutely certain why. It's because I was terrified, absolutely terrified of losing control. Because, really? Oh, yeah, that's the that's the reason I remember quite clearly. It's not because I was any, there was anything goody two shoes about me. Of course, I want to fit in as everybody did. Um, and it was what everybody did but it wasn't while I did. And so that what was, was it about control that you felt? Well, it, uh, it, was fear. It, was fear. it was fear of not, of something not working out or I don't know, getting sick or get it all. I don't know what it was, but, but basically I didn't have a safety net. That's what it boils down to. I did not have a safety net. So uh, I was on my own. I was, I was, I had to be independent from a very early age. So um so because of that, I think that's what made me very fearful of being out of out of control. So, I mean, I'm grateful for that now. <laughs> it could have all been so much worse. Um, but yes, I did drink because, of course, I didn't think of that as a, as, as a drug, did I? I'm sure we'll get onto that later. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so so I definitely was not living the holistic life at all. Um, and none of that came about for me really until probably not till I was kind of mid-20s, uh, late 20s, I probably 
got a sense of, oh, maybe I should be eating a little more healthily. And I started looking at what I was eating. I got a little bit of sense of, okay, so I need to also think about what's going on in my head. I looked into meditation and a little tiny bit into spirituality, but nothing really kicked in in that department till I was pregnant with my first child. And he was 23 last week. So that was literally when it happened, when when I got pregnant for the first time. And, and I didn't plan to have any kids, by the way. So I got pregnant by accident. It was like this massive learning curve all of a sudden. Oh, my God. You know, and, and suddenly in that moment, I knew that uh, it was super important for me to be healthy. And for me, that meant completely natural. And, and for the baby, you know, and to leave a bit of the planet behind, ideally. So, so that's when I, I had this literally kind of 360 degree um, turning point. And was that transition easy for you because it was something you knew you had to do or did you go through that process kicking and screaming did you fall off the wagon oh what in terms do you mean in terms of the whole deciding to go get natural alternative to everything because I know you talk about there is a natural alternative to to everything Um, no I I find it really easy it 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 all slotted into place because it it was so obvious that it needed to happen you know the, the minute I I um you know, kind of educated myself and read a few books and articles on 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 various chemicals and everything and the potential toxins and everything. It was hundred percent clear to me that that that's the way things needed to be. So um, so it all fell into place very easily. Really, I, I literally I remember spending an absolute fortune on the most massive pile of books when I was pregnant. You know, about sort of how to have a natural pregnancy and birth. I had this humongous kind of pile of books and I I, I went through them all. And, and then just literally replaced absolutely everything in the house and just educated myself. And that that was it, you know? Uh, I mean, you know, I think this happens to quite a lot of women, actually. They they get pregnant and they suddenly go, the first thing is often, oh my God, you know, I better not dye my hair because I don't really want to put toxic chemicals on my hair. So then it often starts with that. And then they go, oh my God, what am I going to eat? And what about what I'm putting on my skin? And, and shall I wash my clothes with that? And so they start to think about these things because they know they're going to be making have it having an impact. Have you seen a big change over the last 23 years? Because certainly when I was 30, I was diagnosed as wheat and dairy intolerant. I had a lot of health issues. And when I first started off, so I'm 48 as we're recording this. And so that's nearly 20 years. And when I first was told, right, you can't eat wheat, really shouldn't be eating dairy it was really difficult to go out and and eat a meal out and to cook food. And then as time went on and and sort of gluten intolerance became a thing and lactose intolerance and products started to make their way onto the shelves, they were really poor quality. And now we're obviously in a much better place. But I have to say there's still a problem with that because all the wheat-free stuff is riddled with sugar, but that's another story. So have you seen a massive change in the industry in terms of, holistic well-being mm, yeah absolutely massive change I mean I I wrote my first book what happened was I was on still on the radio I had my first baby um and then and a publisher came to me and said you know we've heard you talk about some of this stuff on the air you know we've heard you joking about laundry balls and organic food and, and whatever it might be and would you like to write a book and I said well, probably not no I'm not really a writer and this publisher you know I'm very grateful so I said well you're obviously really passionate about the subject so we'll help you if you really can't write we'll help you um and that's how my first book came about and that book came out took a a long while to write but it came out uh 16 years ago 
right? So 16 years ago, staggering, actually. And that's when Imperfectly Natural Woman came out. And that book, I sometimes joke that I was so ahead of my time because I was writing about coconut oil, you know, for skincare and oil pulling and all of this and kale, you know, for smoothies long before they had their own publicists. You know, now everybody talks about coconut oil, but I really genuinely was kind of one of the first. And, uh, you know, and that book did did really well once it got a little bit of promo, because I, I think I was really fortunate in that choosing that title was important. You know, the imperfectly natural part of the title was important because nobody gets everything right. I certainly didn't. And so I was, I kind of gave people permission to, you know, you can do the bits you can, but that small change, big difference approach, you know? Um, but anyway, to answer your question, that was, so that was 16 years ago or 15 and a half or something. And now, and back then there was, I think I, I did a lot of research and I found, I think five brands that did natural makeup, for example. And now, I mean, you know, you can't move for amazing organic brands. And um, so the, the, change in the industry is absolutely you know it's incredible it's literally incredible across every sector why do you think then given the prevalence of products for putting on our skin ingesting wearing pumping into the room furnishing your home why do you think there is such a resistance to people really adopting this as a permanent way of life well i think it depends who you look at I mean obviously many people have otherwise these businesses wouldn't be in business would they so I think there has been a massive massive rise in use mm -hmm. but you know it uh, I mean I think I remember there was a, a Mintel report a good few years ago and they said that there'd been I think it was probably about six seven years ago and this Mintel report said that they'd done a they'd done a survey into organic skincare for example and they'd found a 40% rise in spending on organic skincare now in, in a year, right? Now you might think, wow, that's amazing. But if you actually look at the percentages in terms of, well, is that going to impact on your Clarins and your SD Lauders? I don't think so. <laughs> so, you know, this is never going to be um, for everyone, right? Um, because it's not cheap. It isn't cheap and it isn't as, in inverted commas, easy. But I do think that, you know, just as I say before, you know, I use that expression, you know, before they had their own publicists. Similarly, way more people are aware now of the importance of, um, you know, you are what you put on your skin, just like you are what you eat, what you put in your skin goes within. Mo many more people are aware of that stuff now. Mo you know, it, it, it's very different to how it used to be. And of course, it's not everyone. Um, but but there is a huge rise in interest. I mean, if you look at young people, you know, they are definitely more clued in on, on, on well-being and toxins. And in all of my books, I've got amazing recipes for, for making your own skincare. Simple, super, super simple stuff. You know, I've got four kids and God knows how much to do. So if I can, you know, whiz up my own exfoliator, anybody can, you know, and I'm really, I'm talking about simple stuff that costs next to nothing. Yes, there are a few things that you've got to buy and they'll cost you a bit more, but you genuinely can do this on a shoestring. It's just about getting your head around the fact that you do not have to have 25 bottles of stuff under your sink. And you definitely do not need 70 different things in the bathroom. You know, something for this procedure and something for this and another one for that, and then plump with that and then tone and cleanse. Just no. 
I'm, I'm with you on that. Low maintenance all the way. <laughs> Low maintenance all the way. When you had written this book and, and you'd made that kind of choice to live a much more natural or imperfectly natural life 23 years ago, you were still drinking at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I was still drinking up until three and a half years ago. So what was the feeling? How did you feel better? What was the change? What was the transformation in your body from making that choice from, okay, I'm going to start eating more healthily. I'm going to be aware of what I put in my stomach, et cetera, et cetera. Did you notice a change? I remember back that I, I was, I was not ill person in inverted commas, but I was always had digestive issues. I mean, always, it was just kind of a bit of a joke that, you know, I was, I was always, always had stomach ache or something was always going off. Nothing that anyone could put their finger on, but just always had digestive issues. I was very anxious and I had so many colds. I can't mean to tell you. I used to joke about it. Oh, you know, I'm on my ninth cold this year. Hey ho. Um, I used to just think that was just the way I was. You know, ev- everything changed really when I started to, um, well, I just started to live more, 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 more healthily. Mm-hmm. My you know, skin cleared up, the digestive issues more or less went away, although the alcohol definitely didn't help with that. And I stopped getting colds, you know, so it, it definitely makes a difference. I remember once I, I, we had um, an au pair come to live with us when the kids were young. Um, she came over from Romania and and uh, she arrived thinking that she'd come to the affluent West. And then she sort of looked under my sink and there's like, like some bicarbonate of soda and some tea tree oil. And she's like, what's this? Um, but we kind of, you know, we, we got her into the, into the vibe as it were. And it was really fascinating. I wish I'd videoed her because she arrived with, she was absolutely chock full of eczema and acne and psoriasis and um, sort of asthmatic problems and headaches, regularly having to kind of take to her room because she she wasn't well. And I think within, I don't know, two months, maybe three months of using natural products and, uh, and, and, you know, eating real food, everything had gone completely. Mm -hmm. Skin was cleared, no asthma, no, no respiratory problems, no headaches. It was amazing. It was amazing to watch. Yeah, it's amazing the correlation between yeah. what you eat and and all the various ailments and adverted commas yeah. because it's just your body reacting and, and, and that's the thing our bodies are always trying to communicate with us yeah so if somebody is thinking about making changes from a food point of view it, it starts from a place of asking yourself what percentage of real food am I eating right how much real food so you know uh, uh, people might say that's foods that roam and grow right so if you are a, a meat eater you know are you eating meat or are you eating a piece of fish if if you're if you're eating you know plenty of, of, of vegetables are they actually vegetables or fruit or salad that 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 has grown you know or is it something in a packet and if it's in a packet you know how many ingredients has it got on that packet the vibe is um is jason vale the juice master calls it no label foods eat foods without a label if they don't have a label then they're food right an avocado is is has its own packaging right so it's just an avocado which is why which also you know feeds into the eco argument because why would you want to buy something wrapped in cardboard and plastic and labeling and god knows what and barcodes bloody avocado you know or a banana or whatever it is so i'm a really big believer in sort of starting from that place and if you start from that place then of course we we can handle a little bit of crap you know of course we can it's it's fine I would be looking at that 80-20 principle. You know, you want 80% of what you put in your body to be proper food. 
what we recognize as food. So if you're cooking everything fresh, you're probably doing a really good, good job. And I don't think the odd bit of chocolate is that much of a problem, particularly if it's dark chocolate. It's actually good for you. It really genuinely is. Um, <laughs> that's what I know. tell myself. Jenny. It, 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 is. Myself. it is. I mean, the confectionery isn't, but the dark mm-hmm. chocolate is, you know, the raw cacao or the, or the, you know, high percentage cacao chocolate. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously sugar is a big one. And, and if we start talking about alcohol, you know, that often people stop drinking and then they get a right old sugar head on and the, and sugar is a big one, but by the same token, don't ever replace your sugar with artificial sweetness because they're worse. That's way worse. So if you're someone who has diet drinks, start there. You know, you have to look at where you're starting from in this. There's no point saying, well, do you know what? I'm super healthy. I'm vegetarian and I'm, you know, wheat and gluten free and I never have dairy and, and oh, great. But then you'll have a diet Coke please <laughs> don't even go there or <laughs> diet anything you know. other brands are provided but yeah so it, it, it is it's just looking at that that natural kind of what would we have eaten in the olden days and that doesn't mean we can't also buy something nice and trendy like tofu of course we can but what would your grandma have eaten um because you, you you know it's interesting you know we talk about diets in wartime people are actually healthier in wartime now one reason is because they ate less they ate a lot less than we did but secondly, they ate foods that were grown local. You know, they were seasonal and they were grown local. They didn't have any strawberries in winter because there weren't any, right? Uh, and they didn't have any, you know, TV dinners because there weren't any. So they were healthier um, and they weren't organic because they paid extra for them. They were organic because they didn't have the pesticides. So really a lot of it comes back to that kind of mentality, really. Yeah. So you... And I've watched your TEDx talk about sobriety rocks. And I'm, I am fascinated with this because probably most people will drink to some extent. Uh, and certainly in the UK, where we are from, it's a really big part of our culture mm. to drink, socialize. And certainly until very recently, I don't know about you, but as a Scot, you'd be a hell of a wary of somebody if they didn't drink. Mm. And as somebody who drinks socially and who, I mean, I, I never intend to go and get pissed, but sometimes it just creeps up on you, particularly a woman and hormones and all the rest of it. Mm. One day a glass of wine is fine. And then another day you're away with the fairies and a glass of wine. But I think so many of us don't actually believe that we have a problem with drink. Yeah. And I know that there's the old joke when you go to your doctor and, and you say, how many units of alcohol do you drink a week? And you go, you always oh, lie. five. And he'll be like, uh, 15. I'd love to just have a chat with you to find out what was the, the point in your life where you were like, okay, this is not right. Mm. So, well, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It is the social glue that sticks everything together. It is absolutely accepted. It is what everybody does. You know, um, you're seen as weird if you don't. It, it's, you know, that lovely phrase, alcohol is the only drug you have to justify not taking, right? Um, you know, people pat you on the back when you, when you stop smoking, but when you stop drinking, it's like, wow, you must have had a problem. Uh, you know, so, so yes, it is completely um, in our culture. Also, the other thing to say is that um, in the UK, particularly, we think, and I certainly did, that there were two types of drinkers, that there are those who are at rock bottom who have a problem those people who need help, they need rehab, they need alcohol services, you know, you'll find them in a skip or whatever it is, you know, people who serious have serious issues. Okay. And that wasn't me. Of course it wasn't me. I wasn't anything like that. I didn't, I never even had a day off work due to alcohol. Of course not. Um, And then, and then we think there's everybody else. And we think everybody else 
is completely happy social drinker, right? And every now and then they just can't hold their beer. Now, the reality is not that. The reality is what we now know the expression is gray area drinkers, okay? Actually, the reality is there are a whole loads of shades of gray. In my TEDx talk, I say at least 50 shades of gray, none of them sexy, right? But most people are somewhere on that booze spectrum. They're often drinking more than they want to, okay? That's the key, more than they want to. And if you are somewhere on that booze spectrum, you're looking down at the bottom and you're seeing those people at rock bottom. You're saying, well, that's not me. I don't have a problem. But then you're seeing everyone at the top of the booze elevator who, you know, your, uh, you know, your great aunt who has a sherry every Christmas. And you're thinking, oh, I'm not I'm not like that either. And I've actually woken up at 3 a.m. and I feel absolutely crap or I wasn't able to finish my kid's bedtime story or I actually I'm not looking forward to going out tomorrow because I'm kind of hung over or whatever. And you start to think like that. And then you start to think something really wrong with me because I'm not at rock bottom. I'm not okay. And nobody talks about that bit. <laughs> That's the bit I talk about because my take on this is if you drink alcohol, alcohol's legal. Lots of people enjoy having alcohol. And if you have alcohol and you have an off switch and you are very happy drinking alcohol. You're very happy with the way your life is drinking alcohol. And it's not even a thing to need to discuss it. Then knock yourself out. You know, you're a, you, one might call you a mindful drinker or a, you're conscious. You, you don't need to think about it because it's not a thing for you. It's not a problem for you. Just like I would say, I'm probably, um, you know, uh, banana eating is not, not a thing for me. I, I, I like bananas, you know, so I'll eat a banana. Funnily enough, a couple of days ago, um, I was on the go and I had two, right? Get me, I had two. But if there's Binge no bananas, I know, exactly. If there's no bananas in the house, I might not have any for three weeks, okay? If a doctor said to me, do you know something? You're allergic to bananas. I'd go, well, that's a shame, but it's not gonna impact on my life in any way because it's not a thing. I have an off switch, right? But when it comes to alcohol, I don't. <laughs> so what I say to people is, the question isn't, have I really got a problem? Am I as bad as someone else? Am I drinking too much? That's not the question, because that's a how long is a piece of string question. The question that you have to ask yourself is, could my life be better physically and emotionally, and they're both very important, without booze? I think that would strike fear amongst so many people, because when you said that to me, I'm sitting going, well, actually... I love if I've had a, a, a busy week and I've got the log fire on and I put a nice big glass of red wine and I have some cheese as a special occasion. And just, oh, I love that. Or I love going out with my group of friends and we, you know, that kind of giddiness that you get from alcohol. The thought of me not having that in my life and never doing that again it's kind of like, oh God. Yeah. And I know I will not be alone in that. You know, and, and that yeah. is a, that's an honest response it is, to what it's you exactly said. Like, it's exactly like that at the beginning. And, and it is for everyone. And, and that's exactly how I felt too. But, but you've moved on from the first question I asked you. So the first question I asked you was to ask yourself, could my life be better physically and emotionally without the booze? That's question number one. And if your gut reaction is, well, well, yes. Now, if you, if you have an off switch, if you genuinely have an off switch, if you never drink more than you want to, if you, if you drink alcohol the way I drink, ban eat bananas, 
it's all good. I'm not, I'm not out for prohibition. But most people, when we have this conversation, or a lot of people will say to me, well, actually, do you know what? It's impacting on my life. I'm feeling anxious. I know that I wasn't there for my kids the other day. I know that if my kids were to be ill in the middle of the night, I can't drive them to hospital. I know that I felt weepy and miserable in that meeting the other day. I know that I'm now booking things. I'm getting, I'm a, I want to arrive at the cinema half an hour early because God's sake, I've got to get a glass of wine in first. I know that, you know, I'm putting out an awful lot of bottles in that recycling every week. I know that I've got tingling around my boobs. I know that I've got menopausal symptoms and on and on and on and on. Yeah, and if you're answering any of those things, yeah. then the answer is it, you don't, don't fire ahead to how will I sit in front of the fire? Because you talk about that later. Answer the first question. Could my life be better without the booze? Yes, no. And I, well, I think it comes from an age as, as, as much as anything else, because you, you hit a certain age and that may vary depending on who you are, where you're at, how healthy you are, et cetera, et cetera, where you can't cope anymore with well you're not meant to because it's a poison let's just call it what it is right we all we sugarcoat around this subject <laughs> on and on and on i used to i used to love every, every study that came out about a glass of red wine is good for your heart there you go you see and reach for my bottle of white and promptly drink the lot you know whereas actually what it had said is you know one glass may be good for the heart it's still bs it's absolutely bs if you want red wine you know if you want the properties of red wine the reserve trial have a bloody grape Right. So all of that is BS. But I used to love those articles that said what alcohol was good for you. It is not good for you. Let's be really super clear about this. It's the number one most harmful drug. Yeah. OK. When you take into account everything, not just harm to the individual, but the economy, uh, the wider society, the healthcare, it's the most harmful drug. It has nothing going for it. Nothing. It's a poison. It's terrible for women. And as you get older and you're getting into perimenopause and menopause, oh, my God, there's nothing worse than trying to load in toxins, literally poison, which messes up every bit. I mean, you know, I could go on forever. I don't want to be, you know, a scaremonger. But honestly, that's the reality. People don't like hearing it. The yeah. amount of women I talk to and they uh, now I'll be I'll, I'll be coaching someone and I'll ask them what medication they're on. And they'll say, well, I'm, I'm menopausal and I had, you know, awful menopausal symptoms. or I had hot sweats or I had uh, terrible anxiety, mood swings, depression, this, that and the other. So I went to my GP and, and, and they, they come out with antidepressants and or HRT. And then I'll say, were you asked about your drinking? No, that it's is okay. shocking yeah. because you are literally medicating on top of self-medication. And that's not okay. Mm -hmm. It's completely not okay. You know, and you can, I mean, I, I've been going through perimenopause for years and now in menopause and you definitely can manage so much by what you eat and what you drink and, and I know for a fact and, and that's why you know I, I, I mean I laugh you know you ask the question and I dodge around the side because I'm not quite ready to to give up and I guess my, my... Uh, uh, hold on hold on hold on I have to stop you there you're not allowed to say give up because you're not giving up anything so I won't let anyone say give up it's called ditch the booze. So you need to say, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready booze. to ditch the booze. You're not, give, you, must, you can't use that language. Because, oh, really? Yeah, because by saying giving up, you're allowing your unconscious mind to think that you're going to be missing out on something. You're not missing out on anything. You're only gaining. You're only gaining. My, and this is my argument, and I'm sure other people insert the words in brackets, but I feel because I can't eat wheat, 
and I can't eat dairy. I'm like, what? No wheat, no dairy. I'm now in menopause. So really sugar is a mass. And I notice sugar now in a way that I didn't before. And now no booze. I'm going to be thinking. Yeah, but hold on a minute. God, no, no, where's no. the fun, no. Janie? Hold on. Let's re- reframe that a minute. Reframe that a minute. So, so we've already accepted and agreed that alcohol is the number one most harmful drug. Yes. Right. So just for a minute, let's just replace that word with heroin, right? No wheat. No dairy, no heroin. Oh, that's Jenny, just awful. Sport. <laughs> it, it's when the scales come off and you see it for what it is. It's actually just incredible. They've done such an amazing job, the alcohol marketing industry. It's so clever. It's so clever. We've glamorized booze so that all of us think we cannot have any, in inverted commas, fun or a good night out or socialize without a toxic liquid. Why don't you take a look at the many celebs who are who alcohol free? Do you think they're boring? I think the fear, because I know it in myself, is that and I can't actually believe I'm going to admit this because I'm like you, I, I am very comfortable in company and my background is presenting. I am not a shy person. I'm confident in new company. I enjoy meeting people and getting to know people, but I do love Vicky mm. and the personality with a wee bit of sprinkle on top. Mm. Well, no. you think you do. You think oh, right. you do. See, the, yeah. so, so, you see, I come across this all the time. We, it, and it's really interesting because what, people very often find and it's and I've, I've found this with so many people is it it does take a little while to step into your sober shoes and it's and it's a bit odd at the beginning I can't deny it isn't it is a bit odd particularly if you're at an event and you're with everyone who's drinking and you're the only one not drinking number one there's a whole load of prep you have to do you don't just rock up but anyway let's assume you've done your prep you, you know, you're having a lovely alcohol-free drink, they're drinking, they're all getting slowly pissed, they all start repeating themselves. By yeah. the way, don't believe for one minute that, you know, this, the anagram of sober is bores. No, I don't think so. It's drunk people who are boring. Beyond <laughs> boring. And then, and all your mates start saying the same thing to you. Yeah. I've had that. I've had, I, literally, I've had a, a, a girlfriend tell me the same thing five times, one after the other. It was scary. It was scary watching her. Mm-hmm. It really honestly was oh my god that used to be me that is just horrible but everybody right? around about you is on the same boat and I think that's the difficulty because I have on various occasions in my life you know drinking alcohol free beer mm-hmm. and that was the challenge that I had was listening to the inane drivel mm-hmm. that was so coming out of people's mouths and and if you're the only sober person and you're not in amongst that mm-hmm. and, and enjoying all that nonsense and that inane drivel how do you cope and I think well, that's the fear for me is you have to go and find a new circle of friends that are all yeah, sober I mean sober socializing is a big topic in in my in happy healthy sober the book I've written I've got like three sections on sober socializing you know one written by a, a, a young woman talking about dating because that's another whole minefield you know if you're if you're dating again when you're sober my god you know sober sex most people haven't had sober sex like ever like <laughs> ever think about that right so it is a minefield, but it absolutely can be done. I, you know, I run the sober club. I've been coaching people for two years now. I know it can be done. Yes, it's tricky at first, but you do find your feet. You, you learn to, number one, you suggest other things. So you don't, it doesn't always have to be the same gig it was before. You can ring up your mates and you can say, let's go bowling or let's go to whatever. Or why don't you come around to mine? You know, uh, we'll do a lunchtime thing and I'm going to make you the most amazing mocktails you've ever tasted. I, I had a birthday party just after I'd ditched the booze and I was really did not know what to, what to do because I wanted to invite people I hadn't seen in ages. 
and and I and something didn't feel right about having alcohol. So I said, Oh God, you know, what shall I do? What shall I do? And in the end, I did a lunchtime event. I had a whole range of alcohol-free spirits and mixers and alcohol-free fears. I had alcohol-free mulled wine. It was winter. I had a whole pimping station so you could pimp your drinks. We had the most amazing music and somebody doing a dance class. It was the most fun party and literally not one person complained. And then everyone drove home. What's not to like, mm -hmm. right? You know, mm -hmm. you're not stopping people from drinking on their own. They can go home and drink if they want. You know, you can have fun without booze. Mm -hmm. you, you start to realize that. Um, but but again, you're you're still firing too far ahead because to start with, all that matters is you asking yourself the question that you probably will end up asking yourself at 3 a.m. If you're anything like me, you know, when you wake up at 3 a.m., a voice says to you, this is not OK. It's not OK. It's got to stop. Got to stop. And it's just that by six o'clock the next night, the wine, which says, oh, go on, you've had a really busy day, have a glass of wine. But you have to listen to that 3 a.m. voice. Janie, this is not good. We've just renovated our house and I bought a <laughs> wine fridge for God's sake. That's, and that, no, that's good. You can put your kombucha in there, your naughty alcohol-free fizz, your artisan tonics. Oh, I can send you a massive list. My line is keep the ritual, change the ingredients. How long was it before you noticed the difference? Because we've all done the sober October or the beginning of the year and it's like, I'm never drinking again on the 1st of January done it for a month, pushed it for three. Did I notice a massive difference in my health? Did I feel, I'm like, mm, mm. Depends what you were focusing on. I really believe it's 100% what you're focusing on. I think if you if you do dry January or sober October or whatever it is, and your focus is, okay, I'm gonna grit my teeth and not drink because I need to detox, I must lose weight, I must, I must, I'm gonna give up drink, I'm not gonna be having this thing that I really love. Everyone else is good. I'm the, you know, if you're if you have that mentality of sacrifice and gritting your teeth and hanging on, you know, counting the days, then you won't really necessarily, you might drop a pound, you might sleep a bit better, maybe. But this stuff takes a while, actually. It takes a while to kick in. Uh, and the reality is um, it, it, it's only worth doing this if you if you genuinely want to be curious about the difference it will make to your life physically and emotionally that's why i always recommend people do 100 days minimum 100 days really then you will know then you will actually start to notice the difference but even then do the 100 days but not with the focus of counting the days till you can drink again and thinking the whole time about what you're missing you spend those 100 days focusing entirely on what you can add in, on what you can gain, on, okay, now, now I'm doing this and I've removed the poison. What does my body actually need? Shall I have some amazing green juice? Shall I start, you know, eating sprouted seeds? Shall I start doing yoga? Maybe I should do some meditation. Shall I, shall I start running, walking? Do I need a new hobby? Because you'll have time to kill, by the way. You know, do I need to get connected? Definitely, I would say. You know, it's all of that. It's what are you adding in? It isn't just not doing something it's what are you doing yeah. that's the massive difference if you want the best anti-aging secret ever right ditch the biz yeah you're welcome that's it that's <laughs> it that's it there isn't anything else forget ah. your creams your yeah. botoxes your this your that forget it it doesn't matter none of that stuff matters you have to it, this both physical and emotional and it all comes back to being able to like yourself and you know something it's really hard to actually like yourself and be authentic when you're putting poison in does something to you you can't do it I, I never used to be able to meditate 
or sit with my, even though I was kind of queen of meditation, I was a hey house author, for God's sake. But if someone had asked me, okay, well, tell me about your kind of spiritual routine and your, you know, and how it must be amazing to love yourself. The hell are you talking about? Not for me. I couldn't, couldn't get involved in any of that because actually, if I really was able to stop ever and properly stop and listen to what was really going on within, I didn't like it. Of course mm -hmm. I didn't because it was totally not authentic with who I'm meant to be. How can it be if you're pouring in poison every day? That is so interesting. And I guess, and that's why I love these conversations because every day is a school day and I love hearing <laughs> other people's stories. And you're absolutely right. And I never, I never even framed it that way because I'm, I'm the type of person and I would consider myself, you know, I have a spiritual practice and a lot of the work I do is, is intuitive you know, connecting with the universe, God, one, whatever you want to want to call it, and an energy healer. And I never, I never drink and drive. I may say I never work under the uh, under the influence. So there's always sort of space either side. But I've never once felt that it was my place to tell people, oh, you can't be spiritual and you can't connect and you can't use your intuitive gifts and you know connect with your gut instinct and, and drink at the same time. It's all about choice and and as you say, this 80-20 balance. But it is interesting if you are pumping chemicals into your body that are in your body and will remain in your system how, how can you possibly connect fully and authentically with who you are that's right I love it oh I mean God. I'm not telling other people what to do no, either no. I'm just saying that's what happened for me mm -hmm. and and you know for years and years and years I used to I, I, I in the end I just gave up I gave up trying to meditate so I you know I can't do it I just cannot do it um and you know um it's only in recent years I've realized, well, no one can do it. It's not about anything you do anyway. It's only showing up, isn't it, right? It's about showing up. No one's necessarily fantastically practiced and completely clears their mind for 20 minutes, or at least I'd like to meet them if they do. Um, but it's about showing up. And you, it's very, very difficult to show up for that when, when you are not authentic. It all comes down to being authentic. And I was not authentic. It was this massive, great big bloody elephant in the room the whole time and it was booze I was stepping around it all the time it, it, it infiltrated into everything everything it's such a sense of freedom it's incredible freedom when you're no longer having to plan your life around when you're going to drink mm -hmm. is your in your experience and in your wisdom as a, a, a sober advocate and, and somebody who's drank for the most part of their life what when is drinking a problem you know, and I mean, from a health point of view, I know some people can tank a bottle of wine and, you know, still function. But when should we, if, if people are listening, okay, well, I don't really know if I've got a problem or not, because, you know, I have a glass of wine at night, you know, home, I'm chill out. And you know, maybe a tank a bottle of fizz at the weekend with my pals, et cetera, et cetera. When is it a problem? What's a functioning alcoholic? We're getting into another another whole podcast here because I <laughs> never use the word alcoholic. Oh, you don't? Okay? No, don't use the word alcoholic. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I have ever had a disease that I no longer have. It's not a disease. Okay. Um, so I don't use that word. I do believe there are some people who are at rock bottom and clearly need help. They're clinically dependent. I don't work with those, those people. That's not my remit at all. I'm a coach. I'm you know, trained as a coach and, and, I, and, I, and a practitioner and, and all the rest of it. So I work with gray area drinkers and in inverted commas. What that means is someone who can stop, who is functioning, someone who can get to get up and go to work in the morning who who doesn't need alcohol to function someone right, who okay. who who can, has had periods of time when they have stopped 
So, you know, as you said, in perhaps whether it's a, a pregnancy or an illness or whatever, you've had times when you've stopped, you are able to stop, you aren't clinically dependent so that it would be harmful, because for some people, it would be very, very harmful to stop straight away. Yes. So if you're clinically dependent, you're someone that needs alcohol to get up in the morning then do not listen to any of this stuff I'm saying because I'm not talking to you right yeah. we all know someone don't we who we used to call it the uncle stan effect you know we all have an uncle stan or we know of an uncle stan who lived to 98 and smoked capstan full strength and drank a bottle of whiskey a day we all know one right and I'm sure there are lots of them okay but you know what I don't want to risk it so it's it it cannot be about the everyone. I don't believe the government units mean anything. I think it's absolute nonsense to say that 14 units or whatever. I mean, what the hell? Who's once you've started drinking, do you count? Because if you count, then you're really conscious of this. If you're really conscious of this, are you thinking that this might be a problem issue for you? Right. For me, that's all that matters. It's exactly like my banana analogy. If 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 I if I ended up having two bananas for breakfast because there wasn't anything else. And then I went to a party and you know what? They've got banana pie. Oh, I'm having more bananas. And then I go to someone's house and they give me a banana milkshake or whatever it might be. My God, I've had a lot of bananas. Does that give me a banana problem? No, it doesn't. It just so happens I had a lot of bananas. It's perfectly cool. I might even have quite a few the next day. And then I won't have any maybe for three weeks. I don't care. It's not an issue. Okay. If so you it's your mental me, attitude. Yeah. It's a hundred percent the answer to that question. Do you think, do you think really in your heart, in your gut, what does your gut tell you when I ask, could my life be better physically and emotionally without booze? Do you know what? It really could because you wouldn't be putting yourself at risk of all these hormonal things that are going on for you it would sort out your digestive problems your skin would probably clear you wouldn't have the headaches you wouldn't feel sluggish and shit of a morning you know you would probably lose that awful anxious feeling you'd be able to spend more time with your kids you wouldn't flop into bed at nine o'clock you know effing and blinding or whatever it is if a little voice says all of that then you owe it to yourself to give this a shot if the answer to that question is no just like it would be for me with bananas. Well, would my life be better without bananas? No, not a thing. Don't care. Don't care if I have them or not. I'm, don't care. If it's 100% not a thing for you, it's not a thing for you. All good. But you're asking me a lot of questions, right? I know, because it's not, and I'm doing this. <laughs> so like, maybe it is a thing. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm going to be brutally honest. Absolutely, yes. I would be crazy not to answer anything other than yes to that question. Because well, then course... why don't you just do 100 days? And, and, but, but don't just do 100 days. 100 days where you focus on all the incredible benefits. You have to put the work in there. You have to get connected. You have to join the sober club. You have to work, <laughs> you have to work through. The, Maybe that the sounds like a challenge. I've got. Yeah, that well, sounds like a challenge. If you fancy taking it, take it. See Look, what happens. I'm flushed. You're putting me under pressure. I'm flushed. <laughs> panic. You started this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I am sure that there's so many people listening have been inspired by not only your story, but your utter passion. And well, the thing is, I really do need people to know that I am not being judgmental. I'm really not. I mean, I'm honestly not. If you're happy drinking, it's great. It's not a problem. Drink. It's, I was for years until, until I wasn't anymore. Mm -hmm. Until suddenly, you know, or maybe not suddenly, maybe over a very long period of time, something was off. 
I would look in the mirror. I would hate what I saw. I was really terrified of getting older. I didn't like the headaches. I didn't like the bloated feeling. I didn't like waking up at 3 a.m. I knew something was wrong. I knew that I knew that it wasn't quite right, that my whole life revolved around the bloody bottle of wine. Everything revolved around that. I definitely wouldn't arrange to go anywhere unless I knew I could get some drink in first. And I knew that other people didn't drink as much as I did. I'd go out for dinner with people and it'd always be me reaching for the bottle. I knew that wasn't quite right. If you know, you really know. Yeah. All this stuff. Love chatting to you. And I, I feel, I actually, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that needs a tough love. Uh, and I, I feel like I've had a bit of tough love from you. So thank you I'm so much. I'm quite bossy. I know. Today. I'm quite bossy. <laughs> so if anybody <laughs> wants a bit of um, Janie tough love, you've got so many different um, offerings. Where's the best place for people to go and find you? I mean, I'll put everything into the comments, but I know you've got two, three different websites and lots yeah, of stuff so, going on. But um, if, if it's to do with this stuff, it's the soberclub.com. Um, there's lots of stuff on there and you can join our community, which is absolutely amazing. It's a small monthly fee, but the difference that makes is incredible being connected. Um, obviously, I've got the book out, Happy, Healthy, Sober. If you're interested in my media relations stuff, just go to genuinelygrace.com and you can probably find everything from there. And you can find me on social media, just at Genuinely Grace. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And if you'd like to connect with me, then head over to my website, vickypaul.com, or you can find me on Instagram at vickyjpaul. Why not take advantage of a special subscriber-only 10% discount off my personalised soul portraits? All you need to do is get in touch using the promo code PODCAST21. That's PODCAST21. And don't forget, you can buy my book, How To Be Successful, available anywhere that you buy books, or you can also get it via the link in the show notes. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And please continue to share this podcast with anyone you think might find it useful. I'd also really love if you could write a review because that helps myself and my guests get discovered by more kindred spirits. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you.